There has to be some common sense. Yes, sir, they have the car stopped at 10 and branch microfiber. We still don't know who pulled the trigger. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, retired NYPD Sergeant Bill Cannon, a 27-year veteran of the force. Tonight, we're sort of going back on an old story because there was breaking news today, and that's, of course, the Rust movie shooting uh, that happened October 2021. So it took them uh, over 15 months to come to the decision. But before I start talking about the case i'm going to bring on straight out of brooklyn retired nypd detective and my co-host on the show phil grimaldi how you doing today phil i'm doing pretty good billy how about you good good you, you know you're looking good you're looking you're looking very italian tonight thank you, you know? thank you <laughs> forget about it abundanza i thought you were going to say something like abundance <laughs> So anyway, the, look, we covered the Rust movie shooting with Alec Baldwin, uh, with Hannah Gutierrez, uh, David Hall. Those were the three people that were implicated possibly in having a big problem when this happened. And just to remind our audience, uh, the shooting resulted in the death of Helena Hutchins, a 42-year-old cinematographer on the movie. And also the round that went through her chest and killed her hit the movie's uh, director, uh, Joel Souza, in the shoulder. So people were struck with, two people were struck with one round. Of course, this caused her uh, her death. Her horrendous, horrendous tragedy. I don't think any of us ever said that this was um, nothing more than an accident. There was no negligence in this. Well, so in, excuse me, there was no malice in no this malice. whatsoever. However, there was negligence. And it's taken 15 months and probably a very, very, very thorough investigation to come up with the decision today, which was to charge Alec Baldwin and uh, Mrs. Gutierrez, Miss Gutierrez, the armor on the, uh, on the movie Rust, with two counts of manslaughter. And that's a very serious charge, obviously. You took someone's life. And uh, with the interview of the district attorney on this, it was pretty much you took it with gross negligence. With really, she, in her interview with CNN, she said with recklessness. And that is one of the, uh, the statues of the subdivisions of manslaughter. So this was not uh, applied easily. This was given... A lot of thought, a lot of legal minds went into this, and uh, I wasn't I wasn't shocked on it. I thought that because they were being so thoughtful and taking so much time to come to this decision, I thought today's result uh, was a possibility. Phil, well, Billy, uh, after hearing the breaking news, uh, you sent me the interview of. Uh, Santa Fe County DA, Mary Carmack Altwise. And there was, uh, it was actually like a, a 10 minute interview, I guess you could say. Um, but there was something very powerful that she said within 
her remarks. And it was that she said, if these three people had did their jobs on that day, Helena Hutchins would be alive today. They didn't perform their basic duties uh, and they didn't exercise due caution. Now, to me, that's very powerful. Obviously, there's been an extensive amount of uh, investigation. Uh, the firearm was sent to the uh, FBI crime lab for uh, examination. And, you know, we had the videotape of Alec Baldwin doing the interview with uh, George Stephanopoulos, where he says he absolutely did not pull the trigger. Uh, according to what the DA said today, she believes he did pull the trigger. I think all the components are there based on the examination of the firearm, that the only way it could have fired was if he pulled the trigger. So now that videotape, that interview that he did with George Stephanopoulos to try and get in front of this thing is now looks like it's going to come back to bite him on the butt. Uh, again, uh, October 21st, 2000. And 21, when this uh, took place, it's about a year and three months now, we finally have criminal charges, which you and I, right from the beginning, both felt that uh, we would be surprised if there were no criminal charges based on all of the facts that were put forward very early on in this case. You know, Phil, one of the things, or the many things, there was many levels of negligence uh, in this case. And one of the big levels of negligence was, of course, what the hell or six live rounds doing on the set of the movie Rust. Five of them were recovered. One of them was shot into Helena Hutchins. How did a live round get into that gun? And I know that in the interview that you referred to with George Stephanopoulos, um, we were calling him George Snuffleupagus. <laughs> it seemed like that interview was just a total love fest, and it was just like sort of giving – uh, Alec Baldwin, uh, you know, an infomercial to uh, talk about how innocent he was, you know. But the thing was, all the protestations of I didn't pull that trigger are all in vain now and are all not believable because the FBI ballistics lab tested the gun and said, guess what? You did pull the trigger because describing how it went off doesn't fit the science of how we tested the gun. And not just the FBI ballistics experts, we had uh, John Pelucci, a retired NYPD crime scene sergeant, who did a fantastic demonstration on our show with the firearm and showed that he had to have pulled the trigger. And CNN, I don't remember the guy's name, he had, they had some fantastic uh, ballistics expert. He said the same thing. So all of these ballistics experts uh, mirrored the... Uh, the definition of what of, of how definition is probably not a good word mirrored the how and why he had to have pulled the, the trigger and they all agreed upon that. So all the protesting of oh no, I didn't do it. What we need to find out is he was blaming it on everything else. And now when it comes out that all of this this negligence, I, you know, look, I, I don't want to try to get personally involved in this because you know. Many, many of us in law enforcement are not lovers of Alec Baldwin. I'll put it that way, you know, but I don't think there was any malice in anything he did. However, again, to repeat, there was gross negligence on this movie set. And don't forget, he was a producer. And even in his role as a producer, he tried to skate out of all his responsibilities. I mean, to me, that's cowardly, you know, like, dude, you were a producer and you pulled the trigger. You killed this woman. 
So accept responsibility, even though we know you didn't mean it, but you had the gun in your hand and you pulled the trigger. Bill, just to piggyback what you're saying right there, uh, on the interview with George Stephanopoulos, which we believe was probably choreographed between his attorneys and the uh, the producers of the show, uh, and Stephanopoulos maybe himself, as to what territories they would go into, what they would discuss, uh, he was asked if he felt guilty, and he said, no, absolutely not. So how could you not feel guilty for an accident that occurred at your hand? He, The gun was in his hand when it was fired. That right there would show uh, some type of an emotion. It gives you the, an idea of his state of mind when he did that interview that he showed absolutely no guilt. Absolutely. I want to put, this was a really good interview done by CNN, and this yeah. is the Santa Fe district attorney. I'm not going to play all of it. I'm going, to play, uh, I'm going to show you her state of mind as to why they're charging Alec Baldwin with this. Thank you for speaking with us. I just want to start. How did you come to this prosecutive decision? Uh, well, along with my special prosecutor, uh, we got the report from the Santa Fe County Sheriff's Office. We initiated an extensive review of that, and I will say that it was a it was a well investigated case. Uh, but we had some follow up that we had to do; had to speak with some experts. And once we read through everything and and researched the case law and the law here in New Mexico, we realized that we believe that there was probable cause to charge uh, Alec Baldwin and Hannah Gutierrez-Reed with involuntary manslaughter. And what were some of the key pieces of evidence that you used that factored into that decision? Well, that there was such a lack of safety and safety standards on that set, um, that there were live rounds on set. They were mixed in with regular dummy rounds. Nobody was checking those, or at least they weren't checking them consistently. And then they somehow got loaded into a gun, handed off to Alec Baldwin. He didn't check it. He didn't do any of the things that he was supposed to do to make sure that he was safe or that anyone around him was safe. And then he pointed the gun at Helena Hutchins and he pulled the trigger. You talk about the safety on the set. Was As part of your investigation, was there one thing that was done or one thing that was said that sealed it for you that this, this should be prosecuted? No, actually, I think it was the totality of the circumstances that this was a really... How loyally is that? I loved that answer. No, it was the totality of the circumstances, the accumulation. I wonder if she knows Mike Gary the way she says Yeah, she that. might. Uh, <laughs> consciousness of guilt. Yes, you know. yes. No, it was the totality of the circumstances. And yes, you know, so look, I, as much as I may have disdain for Baldwin, I want him treated like everyone else. I don't want him treated more harshly. I don't want him treated more leniently. I want the law applied to him as it would be applied to anyone else. And I think the fact that they took 15 months one five months to come up with this decision to prosecute that tells me a lot what do you think absolutely billy and again uh, like you said we said right from the beginning we didn't think it was intentional it was clearly an accident however we uh, stated in our previous shows that 15 industry standards safety protocols have been violated that we could look at from when we had Steve Gardell, who was works in the movie TV unit is now retired working on, uh, on a show called uh, East New York. Anyway, bottom line is, is that we saw that there was, uh, they were playing very loose and very free with safety protocols. And again, that's how you lead to an accident like this. In this case, uh, the DA feels that 
he was reckless and they're charging, uh, uh, you know, him and they're charging the, the armor, Anna, uh, Hannah Gutierrez Reed and David Halls has, uh, who was the AD, the assistant director has already pleaded guilty on this case, which I believe he's going to provide information. That's going to make the case against Baldwin and, uh, Gutierrez Reed stronger. So, uh, again, we called for this right from the beginning. We saw it as the wheels were in motion. And uh, I think that the, uh, the district attorney in this case is going in the right direction. So no doubt that David Halls is going to be a cooperator. He's going to testify against them. You know, one of the things I, I wonder, uh, is there any possibility, uh, and I, I really I don't see it, but is there any possibility of jail or prison time if they're found guilty after trial? Uh, you know, I think there is a possibility of it. I'm leaning towards the possibility that David Holds may have to do some jail time because he copped the plea early on in this thing. He's going to obviously testify against uh, Baldwin and Gutierrez Reed. Uh, I don't know. Will will, uh, will a judge suspend the sentence on based on the deal that he made with his cooperation? And again, uh, we even said from the beginning we don't think that uh, Baldwin deserves to go to jail on this. However, there should have been criminal charges just to set a standard for the industry that going forward we cannot have uh, safety protocols that are skirted in any way, shape, or form when you're making a production like this, and you could have an accident where a person loses their life. And all day long we're hearing about. And I, you know, rightfully so, we're hearing about Helena Hutchins, but Joel Souza was also uh, severely injured. He took a round that went through uh, Miss Hutch, uh, Miss Hutchins, and you know, he took a round. I believe it hit him in the shoulder. So again, there's there's also an assault charge related to his injury. Fast and loose set, and that that nobody was doing their job. There were three people that, if they had done their job that day, this tragedy wouldn't have happened. And that's David Halls, Hannah Gutierrez Reed, and Alec Baldwin. If they had just done their basic duties, this we wouldn't be standing here. Can you help our viewers understand? So the state uh, state officials did a report. It was signed by the chief medical investigator saying that there was no compelling evidence that this was intentional. Right. Right. So help our viewers understand if it's an accident, which most people seem to think it is. Why is that a crime? Because just because it's an accident doesn't mean that it's not criminal. Um, our involuntary manslaughter statute covers unintentional. You know, I'm glad that she's explaining this, explaining the law, and because and, many people think that just because it's an accident doesn't mean that it's not criminal. And she's explaining that right now. So, you know, say if you drive a car at 100 miles an hour, and um, kill a family of four, you know, yeah, you didn't mean to do that. It was an accident, but your actions were quite negligent and perhaps reckless. And that's what she's explaining in the law in regards to these charges. Killings, unintentional homicides. The, the rest of our homicide statutes cover intentional, but unintentional means they didn't mean to do it. They didn't have the intent to kill. But it happened anyway, and it happened because of more than mere negligence, because of they they didn't exercise due caution or circumspection. And that's what happened here. And what, what's your response to, you know, there might be people in Baldwin's camp who say that you were overcharging this. Well, we disagree. And we're going to be taking that in front of a judge and, and allowing the judge to decide on probable cause. But we think that there is enough there, more than enough there to 
move forward on these charges and possibly to get through the preliminary hearing stage and on to trial. Can you just break down the specific charges? So I was reading through your announcement. You say that both Hannah Gutierrez-Reed and Alec Baldwin have been charged with two counts of involuntary manslaughter. Can you unpack that? What does that mean? Well, and those are two counts in the alternative. So when this goes in front of a jury, the jury could find they're guilty on both. But since they're in the alternative, they they will only be sentenced as to one count. Um, The first part of the involuntary that we'll be charging is that they acted with without due caution and circumspection, meaning they weren't just negligent in their duties, but that they were on notice, that they had duties, and that they should have done or not done something that didn't happen on that set, meaning they should have checked the bullets, they should have checked the gun, they shouldn't have even been using a live gun that day, they should have been using a a rubber or a plastic gun. Um, All of these things go together and show that there was just this complacency lack of care on that set. And um, it's more than negligence. And I would say it rises to, to recklessness. The other is um, goes hand in hand with a misdemeanor, a petty misdemeanor here in New Mexico called negligent use of a deadly weapon. And that is that someone h- handled or used or touched a gun in a negligent manner. And I think it's important, you know, that we listen to the law because it gives us the idea of how thorough they were and how much they thought about this and how that they can, you know, they don't want to uh, charge someone with this, that the charges cannot stick, that they can't prosecute this. I believe they can prosecute this. And let's just go over a brief synopsis. Hannah Gutierrez-Reed was the armorer. She was in charge. Really, she was supposed to be the one that handed the gun to Alec Baldwin and sort of ensured that it was not loaded. But instead, David Halls, who was, I believe, an assistant producer, assistant director, director. he took the gun from Hannah Gutierrez-Reed and he handed it to Baldwin and he said, I forget exactly the uh, uh, terminology, but what it meant was this is a safe gun. It's, It's a safe gun. And and he called it a cold gun. A cold gun, yes. But the, the, the thing is, is the buck stops with the person who pulls the trigger. Was it also the duty of Alec Baldwin to, in turn, check the gun himself to determine that it, the gun was safe? And the answer to that is yes, or he would not be being charged with manslaughter right now. I, I remember, not to compare it, but on the police department, my commanding officer would ask me questions. Oh, who told you that? So-and-so. And he said, would you gamble your entire career on that person? <laughs> I said, no, I wouldn't. He goes, well, then don't tell me that he, he's the one that, you know. So in this, it's also, would you bet your whole life on this guy? Or do you think you had a duty to check that gun? I think Alec Baldwin has probably asked himself that same question uh, for the better part of 15 months right now. You know, Billy, the statement that was put out by Baldwin's attorneys today says that he had no reason to believe that that gun was anything but a cold gun. Uh, the, the statement basically throws uh, Halls and Gutierrez Reed under the bus, uh, putting all the blame on them. But you just uh, made a very, very good point that he had an obligation to open that gun or at least have the armorer open the gun and show it to him that there is a 
uh, whether it be a dummy round, a blank round, whatever whatever uh, prop round that they're going to use. That was never done. Uh, why Hall's called out a uh, cold gun when he didn't know that it was a cold gun? Because if he had checked it, uh, he would have seen that it was a real round. So again, all of these uh, different things that took place uh, just led to this horrible tragedy. And again, if we don't show accountability in this particular case, why would uh, people going forward in the movie business uh, try to be more safe and prevent something like this? We need to have accountability. And I think uh, the, the charges today are going to show that there is going to be people held account for the murder. Uh, not, I'm sorry, for the murder, for the accidental death of uh, Helena Hutchins in this case and the accidental shooting of uh, Joel Souza. Which has determined at this point to be now to be criminal. It's a criminal Absolutely. matter. One thing I also wanted to just mention is that Alec Baldwin settled with the husband of Helena Hutchins, a financial settlement, which, you know, you talk about putting the cart before the horse. You're not supposed to do that. Usually the civil case comes after the criminal case. I don't know if he was convinced that the that there was not going to be a criminal case. So he settled and he didn't it didn't even go to court the civil case. So I can't imagine the amount of money he must have paid. That seems a little, to me, a little bit suspect. Like, are you paying the husband of Hannah Gutierrez Reed because you don't want him to be an antagonistic witness against you in a criminal matter? Then that, I I just don't, I'm having a hard time with that, to tell you the truth. When it first happened, I was like, how is he paying him before there's even been a criminal case or a criminal trial or any charges filed. How does he do this? Do you understand that? Well, basically, uh, when you have uh, a criminal case pending, usually, like you said, most times, the civil case is settled after the criminal charges are settled. Uh, you know, Baldwin and his lawyers may have been trying to, uh, you know, get out in front of this whole thing by having him in their camp. The case is settled. He's not going to go out publicly and say, I want... Uh, Alec Baldwin behind bars for the, uh, you know, for the accidental shooting of my wife or whatever it may be. So they did uh, come to an agreement. And I believe if the movie gets made that the husband is going to be, uh, th this was reported today, that he's going to be a, uh, a director in the, in the movie. Yeah, Phil, I found that to be outrageous too. Like Absolutely. it almost seemed like a bribe. Forget about the death of your wife. We can't bring her back. Take these millions of dollars and we'll make you. A I mean, just it, it seems dirty to me. Yeah, it, it does. It does have some stink to it, in my opinion, too. I don't like it. Uh, you know, uh, perhaps uh, Baldwin himself convinced uh, the husband that it was a horrible, horrible accident. He's in that camp and uh, we're going to, you know, we're going to you know, uh, pay you financially for the loss of your wife. And we're even going to make you a, a producer or a director, whatever it was in the, pro in the, uh, in the film, if it goes, if the, in the production, if it goes forward. So again, um, perhaps he was satisfied with all of these things. Maybe he's looking out for the future of his son, uh, the monetary uh, value of uh, the settlement, uh, obviously, uh, will you know reflect on the son's future with let's say college or something like that? So again, uh, all of those things. I don't know if that makes it any better. Uh, it's not going to bring her back, but I certainly feel that I would have waited for uh, the criminal charges to either be announced or settled. 
uh, and then uh, move forward with the the civil action. That's usually the the way the course of action that these things take. Absolutely. Uh, Susie Chapstick, thank you for the 199 Super thank Chat. You, Brandon Lee was killed in the same way. Yes, there's been, I think, another, uh, uh, a third death, too, on uh, a Hollywood set. Rebecca Jones, thank you for the $4 Super Chat. Why can't we see you guys? Is this an audio only? No. I, I Who's not seeing us? Uh, you know what, Billy? I'm looking on my computer. It's just a picture of Baldwin for some reason. Oh, well, let me, let me get his... Are we back? Uh, there's a couple of seconds. Delay. Yeah, we're back now. We're okay. back. Okay, I'm sorry, folks. I uh, I tried to put a picture up before Baldwin. It wouldn't go up, and then all it must have been in like tape delay. Thank you for uh, apprising us of that Thank situation. You. Uh, yeah, Billy, let me make a point about one thing. Now, there were so many things that they skirted with regard to safety, but you know, there was one of the protocols that sticks out in my mind that if you're using a gun that shoots blanks. Uh, if it fires off with just a small charge, there's no projectile in the gun. You're supposed to have a piece of plexiglass if you're aiming it at the camera or so that way the uh, person that's operating the camera can't be injured with the concussion of, of the uh, charge from the gun. Or, you know, there is these little particles of, of uh, maybe a gunpowder or different uh, things that might cause stippling, uh, a stippling injury to a person. They didn't even have that in place. Not that that plexiglass would have saved Hannah Gutierrez or Joel Souza, but it just goes to show you the, the all the safety protocols were being put to the side, skirted. And uh, again, uh, how did a live round get on the set of, of, of a, you know, of a movie, of a picture that's being that's, done? It's that's totally, totally unacceptable. No, that, that's outrageous. You know, folks, this is Police Off the Cuff, real crime stories. If you like real crime from a police perspective, you're in the right place. And uh, please go on our YouTube, hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up and, and ring that bell. And if you want to contribute to us, we have a Patreon with three different levels. We also have a YouTube channel membership with count them five different levels. I see some folks in the chat, some new uh, members uh, that, that just recently joined. Thank you so much. We appreciate all of you guys, your support. Family guy, uh, you know, you know, we corrected. Hi, guys, audio only tonight. No, uh, I got Alec Baldwin off the screen. We're back. So we're, you're looking at two more, much more handsome guys. I don't know if that's correct English, but <laughs> than Alec Baldwin. Uh, but, you know, the, the civil part of this, and of course, the uh, now the criminal part, which we didn't think at some point was taking so long that there would potentially be a criminal uh, case to this. And I think that we, and we had mentioned earlier on during this case that Alec Baldwin should stay the hell off TV because all of that stuff is fair game. All of the interviews he did after this happened is fair game. Now that he's being charged criminally, they didn't tell him to go on TV. He went on TV himself. They can actually play that in a court of law to show his uh, culpability and his lack of taking responsibility for this, even though that's not an element of the crime being charged. But I think, say he decides to take a judge trial, you don't think that would affect the judge? Like Mr. Baldwin, you refuse to ever take responsibility for your actions. I mean, he could, a judge could say that in a jury trial also, but it's very apparent that he has never taken responsibility for this. 
You know, Billy, if his attorneys allowed him or didn't strongly, uh, you know, reject the fact that he was going to do an interview, he should get new attorneys because that was a real big mistake. You know, with regard to culpability and legal wise, you're making statements that you're going to be held accountable to, you know, they're going on videotape and they can easily be used against you. And it was really a, a, a blunder on his part. I believe, I, I think that the idea behind it was to get out in front of it, uh, maybe gain sympathy from uh, you know, people in the United States who were going to watch that interview. And again, uh, maybe he was thinking about his career instead of the fact that uh, poor Helena Hutchins lost her life. Yeah, it's uh, uh, Jojo. Thanks for the 999 super chat off topic, but I was watching a stream with guest Tom D NYC one really enjoyed it. So I hoped over to Tom's channel to check it out and clicked on an older video watching. I'm like, this is my Bill Cannon. Oh my God. I'm I'm so thrilled that I have such a fan base that uh that, that's great. Uh I, I don't know what to say. I'm I'm a little I'm a little baffled with it. But thank you so much for your support and your 999 super chat. I want to play a little bit of this. This is Dan Abrams uh on the Law and Crime channel. Gwen has been charged in the fatal shooting of cinematographer Helena Hutchins. Hutchins was fatally shot nearly 15 months during the filming of the movie Rust. In New Mexico, Baldwin was rehearsing a scene with a pistol when the gun was discharged, killing Hutchins. The movie's film armorer, Hannah Gutierrez Reed, has also been charged with involuntary manslaughter. Prosecutors say if Alec Baldwin had done his job correctly, Hutchins would still be alive. This news means we have a lot to break down here on Law and Crime, and who better to do it? I'm now joined by Law and Crime's founder, Dan Abrams. This uh, Alec Baldwin news obviously coming down just less than an hour. So good to have you here, Dan. Dan, are you surprised by that? Well, look, I I'm not surprised only because the DA about a month ago when she was asking for additional funds made it clear that she was likely to charge under one of the homicide statutes. So I'm not surprised in that sense. But big picture, yes, I'm surprised. And I'm surprised in, in particular at how they threw the book at Alec Baldwin. Because this isn't just an involuntary manslaughter charge, because under New Mexico law, typical involuntary manslaughter up to 18 months in prison, um, it just have to show negligence. That's what we were expecting. They've offered a potential jury two theories here. The second theory of it says if there is something more than simple negligence involved in a death, then there could be a mandatory five year sentence. So these prosecutors, even if they wanted to charge Alec Baldwin with involuntary manslaughter, didn't also have to offer this second option, which is to say an even stiffer potential crime where you're talking about the possibility of a mandatory five year prison term. So how realistic is it that Alec Baldwin could face prison time? Look, I think they're going to have a hard time getting a conviction. I, I think they still have a number of hurdles to overcome here. First of all, they have to have a preliminary hearing. Typically, in a preliminary hearing, it's pretty pro forma. Uh, judge is just determining, is there enough evidence to send the case to trial? In this case, though, I think there's going to be a real fight at the preliminary hearing, particularly to throw out the more significant, the more involved, if the case then eventually does go to a jury, I think there, there still could be challenges in getting a unanimous jury. Why? 
because everyone agrees this was a mistake. Everyone. It's just a question of whether it was a criminal mistake. And there are criminal mistakes. Negligence. It can be a criminal mistake. Recklessness, even, can be a criminal mistake. Um, but I think that there are a number of hurdles here for the prosecutors to get past before we start talking about Alec Baldwin in uh, in an orange jumpsuit. Well, there's Wow. Just the thought that the potential exists that he could get convicted and go to prison for this. I'm I'm sort of shocked. Uh, truth or spoof, thank you for the $10 super chat. Brandon Lee was killed because a piece of lead was stuck in the gun from previous use and the charge from the blank. Push that piece out. It was live round in Baldwin's. Yeah, it was a live round. Truth or spoof, you're 100% right. But isn't that gross negligence that there is even a live round on a movie set? Look, Hollywood is very judgmental of the rest of the world. You know what I mean? Hollywood and movies need a big kick in the ass to let them know that the laws apply to them too. And I brought up a thing. Uh, we had Steve Gardell on who worked for the NYPD. He's retired now. He's an advisor on movies. And I brought to his attention, and he didn't really want to hear it, that in New York City, movie companies trying to cut costs hire homeless people to do a no parking detail on the midnight. That's against the law. Anyone you hire in, in New York City or New York State is supposed to have a security guard license. You think homeless people? And they're doing this, these movie companies. Think of how ridiculous that is. They're cutting pennies when you think of the overall budget of a movie. And so that's an example. You're going to really cut costs to that. Imagine how they would cut costs with things like firearms and firearms training. Isn't everyone that uses a firearm on a movie set supposed to have safety training? The answer is yes. You think they did the safety training on this movie? The answer is no. Absolutely, Billy. And, you know, the standard in New York City is that if they're going to use any type of a firearm in an action film or a television show, any kind of scene, uh, it has uh, in the barrel a piece of lead that's welded into there that even if a live round does get into the gun some way, somehow, it still cannot fire down the barrel of the gun. And the DA said... Uh, in her statement, they shouldn't have been using a real gun to, th this was like a practicing, this was a rehearsal where he was going to, you know, they were going to set the camera angle up where he was going to draw the gun out. Why didn't they just, he could have did it with his hand or he could have did it with a, with a completely fake gun, a plastic gun, a prop gun. So again, another safety protocol that was uh, skirted. And this is why I believe that Alec Baldwin holds culpability for the criminal charges in this case, as well as David Holtz, who pled guilty, and Hannah Gutierrez-Reed, uh, who also is charged in this case. Uh, the culpability is there. I mean, it's not that hard to, to see as an investigator with, uh, you know, uh, criminal you know, criminal justice background, uh, you know, with law enforcement. It's clear to see that these charges are proper. Well, you know, I'm a little bit um, surprised that potentially if it does go to trial and, and you heard Dan Abrams, who, you know, happens to also have a law degree is a, and is also an attorney, um, he's, he's saying that he doesn't think it's going to make it to trial. I don't know. That's, they've gone all of this for 15 months. And the district attorney of New Mexico, she has a uh, an advisor, a legal advisor, because this isn't 
in her uh, wheelhouse, really, this kind of case. So I think that if they've gone this far with it, looking into this case, I think they're ready to go to trial. And whether or not in these hearings, you heard Dan Abrams say, oh, these are going to get very combative, these hearings. The choice also is, as I said earlier, Alec Baldwin and Ms. Gutierrez-Reed have a choice to take a jury trial or a judge trial. And, you know, in a lot of cases, a lot of police officers, when they think they can't get a fair trial in a certain jurisdiction, they sometimes will pick a judge trial because when a case hedges on the law being very complicated, who would you have rather have decided, a judge or a jury that's not really uh, educated in the law in a complex case? That's usually the uh, the the route that a, a person and an ind- individual would take when uh, you know they feel they're innocent and they want someone to be very specific about the evidence that's going to be put forward, examine it, and make a ruling. A lot of times, uh, that's why they'll take a judge a K a judge trial over a, a jury trial. But again, um, you know, with Dan Abrams talking about the possibility of this not going to trial, I think. Uh, it sounds to me like the the district attorney came out today with these charges. Sounds like she's serious about going to trial. However, we don't know what negotiation were taking place behind the scenes prior to this, where perhaps they were looking for Alec Baldwin to plead guilty to a crime and have no jail time, as well as Hannah Gutierrez Reed. Uh, maybe those talks broke down, so now they're going to move forward with it. If the family and the victim in this case, uh, the other victim, which was uh, Joel Souza, uh, they make a statement to the district attorney and say, listen, we don't want anybody to go to jail. If they plead guilty to a non-jail charge. Uh, we'd be satisfied with that. Perhaps then there may not be a trial, although I'm leaning towards the trial based on what we saw today. Again, we don't know what's going on behind closed doors with negotiations with the attorneys and the district attorney in this case. Phil and everyone else that's listening right now, there's a very good story in Vanity Fair about this case. And uh, they talk about Alec Baldwin's phone. Uh, The Santa Fe County District Attorney's Office wanted to get his phone in November. He did not provide it. I'll read an excerpt from Vanity Fair. Uh, Santa Fe County Sheriff Detective Alexandria Hancock first asked Baldwin's attorney for a forensic download of his cellular phone in November 2021. The report says Baldwin's team resisted insisting the investigators from New Mexico get a search warrant in New York where the actor lives. Hancock documents this in a two-page section of the report. After a negotiation between his attorneys and the Santa Fe's district attorney's office, that set in place some privacy parameters. The actor turned over his phone to the Suffolk County uh, investigators in New York State. But even after that, months of negotiations followed as the two sides haggled over which communications were relevant to the case, the report stated. Obviously, the Santa Fe, New Mexico District Attorney's Office wants the calls and the text messages he made right after the shooting because he may have implicated himself saying, yeah, I pulled the trigger. And now once he gets put on the hot box, he's denying ever pulling the trigger. So it seems to me that if you don't turn over your cell phone, how does he get to determine or how does he get to decide what is personal and what is not? Isn't that a judge's decision? So how does his attorneys hide his cell phone? To me, that's tampering with evidence. 
You know, Billy, another thing is too, in the days previous to the shooting, uh, there was some talk about, uh, you know, somebody taking target practice with the gun. There were complaints lodged against the production from people that quit. So again, perhaps there's messages in there talking about safety protocols that were violated. Then there were people that walked off the set of this, uh, show because there was an accidental discharge of, uh, of, of a firearm, whether it be with blanks. And then with, like I said earlier, talking about the possibility of uh, using that specific firearm to take target practice. I think that they'd want to get uh, any messages from his phone going back a few days as well, when these things had allegedly occurred. So again, I'm sure a lot of people were interviewed on this. There's a lot of information that was put forward. Uh, the district attorney's office has the right to subpoena that phone and get any and all information that they feel was pertinent to this investigation. Well, Phil, just again from the same Vanity Fair article, the final data extraction was not completed until August 17th, 2022. They asked for it in November 2021. For the first time, investigators were able to see Baldwin's candid private comments about what happened. But the surprise is the absence of comments immediately after Hutchins' death. So they wiped the phone clean. I mean, how is that allowed? How is he allowed to do that? That is tampering with evidence. I don't care what his attorneys say. Oh, we want it defined as what's personal. What do you mean? He has no right to, if they get a search warrant to his phone, he doesn't get to decide what's personal and what's, I mean, that's ridiculous. Well, I believe, and I'm going to put on my uh, my lawyer hat here, if they uh, provide the search warrant and then messages are deleted after they, they put the search warrant or they subpoena the phone records, I, I don't think if you erase stuff from your phone uh, before anything is uh, actually asked for or you're told not to erase it, that's probably the gray area where he could be uh, charged with uh, tampering or with evidence. But I believe I'm, I'm almost you know, certain that unless he was told not to with that subpoena or search warrant, then I don't think it would be criminal. Although I could be wrong. I mean, let's face it. uh, The immediate time following this shooting is going to be the most important. What messages, what he sent, you know, perhaps he was text messaging with a lawyer, calling a lawyer, uh, looking for advice, uh, things that he said to, to, you know, people close to him might be very relevant to his state of mind when the shooting took place. He may admit to things that he's now denying. He may have had admitted to his wife or whatever. I pulled the trigger, you know? Absolutely. And so that's gone. Although I think even when you delete things, I, you know, I'm not a, a, an expert on uh, phone technology or, or whether, they, whether they can still recover through a forensic uh, deep dive into his phone and still recover things that somehow – they deleted. I don't know if there's any experts on on the air with this or in the chat, but it seems that's that of course they intentionally did that. Isn't that tampering with evidence? PJ Hay became a YouTube member. Thank you, PJ Hay. I love that Thank name. You. I love that new name, PJ Hay. It's a great uh, it's a great scream name. I saw you know, I think, the yeah. cell phone carrier. If you uh, transmit a text message, cell phone carrier has uh, a copy of that. Even if you erase it from your phone, a subpoena could be put to the cell phone carrier and they can retrieve that message. I believe pictures as well. So if you send a picture, uh, also a record of phone calls, who you call, not the actual conversation, but there's going to be a record of those phone calls. All of that information 
by law is required. The cell phone companies are required to hold that technology information for one year. Uh, 365 days they hold it, 366 they can erase it. Well, you know, as you know, if all video and all photos of Alec Baldwin after the shooting, his phone was like an appendage that was attached to his ear for the whole time. So for there not to be calls uh, or records of those calls right now or text messages, it's showing that something, you know, to me, that's tampering with evidence. And, you know, it's, you know, there's going to be a battle, of course, because Mr. Baldwin has a lot of money. He's going to hire a high-priced uh, uh, lawyers, a high-priced law firm. I don't think his attorneys ever expected it to get to this level, to get to the, a charge for manslaughter. And the fact that potentially he could do five years, I find that, first of all, I don't think it's going to happen. But just the possibility of it, he's got it. This has ha had to have hit him with the reality of it. And 24-year-old Hannah Gutierrez-Reed, I mean, welcome to the world. You know, imagine this, you go to work one day and you do your job very poorly and now you're facing a manslaughter charge and the potential of going to prison. Absolutely, Billy. And perhaps uh, those stronger charges are there to maneuver uh, some type of a plea deal where they plead guilty to a crime with no uh, jail time or perhaps a probationary period, suspended sentence, something of that nature. Uh, that could be the uh, thinking on the part of the district attorney. You know, you throw that stronger charge in there with the five-year sentence possibility. And again, that uh, will give a person that's facing that charge a little more incentive to say, you know what? Uh, I'm going to throw myself on the mercy of the court. I'll plead guilty and I'll take the lesser, you know, with the probation and perhaps community service, something of that nature. Definitely going to be one talking point. And that is when Alec Baldwin did an interview uh, a few months ago saying that he did not pull the trigger. And when you, you know, as a lawyer, when you, you talk about not opening your mouth before something develops and happens, how much is that going to hurt him? It was a really uh, dumb comment for Alec Baldwin to make. He said that he cocked the gun and it went off. Oh, absolutely didn't pull the trigger. I never would pull the trigger. I, my training tells me I, I, you can't pull the trigger. The reason that's so dangerous is because now in an FBI report, they believe that the trigger had to have been pulled. If they're right, that means Alec Baldwin's lying. And that is not helpful to him. It's not helpful to him in the trial. It's not helpful to him at the point where they were deciding whether to charge him, et cetera. So, you know, this is one of these examples of where a lawyer may not want their client to speak publicly. And we're seeing exactly why. Well, what legal ramifications will this have in the film industry, you think? You know, look, I, I don't know that it's going to have significant uh, ramifications in film that'll be more on the sort of civil side um but you know this is going to send shockwaves i think throughout the you know the film community the idea that alec baldwin and the the armorer here both now criminally charged well it'll be interesting to see but i do want to read to you on air here the statement from Alec Baldwin's lawyer here. He said, quote, this decision distorts Helena Hutchins' tragic death and represents a terrible miscarriage of justice. Mr. Baldwin had no reason to believe there was a live bullet in the gun um, 
or anywhere on the movie set. He relied on the professionals with whom he worked to assure him the gun did not have live rounds. We will fight these charges and we will win. What do you think of that statement, Dan? It's not surprising. I mean, here's the, the thing that's not surprising is there are no facts that are surprising to us at this point. There's not like there was a revelation in the document today. The DA is now doing the, the rounds, doing interviews, et cetera. No revelations. She believes that the trigger was pulled. She believes that this that Alec Baldwin and the other people on that set, in particular the armorer, could have and should have prevented this, that there were some safety violations that they didn't respond to. And Alec Baldwin's defense is, why are you blaming me? I, I mean, how am I responsible when I'm handed a, a gun? Those will be the two sets of arguments made. And those have been the two sets of arguments that have been made up to this point. Finally, we have about 30 seconds. Yeah. What will this do to Alec Baldwin's career? You know, that's a, that's a tough question. Who cares what this does to his career, really? Who, who cares? I mean, I don't care. Uh, I just look, this is a, an inch, really interesting case. And I think it does um, sort of wake up Hollywood, you know, in, in the way that they do things, in the cavalier way they handle firearms. And, you know, for a, a, a group of people and uh, most um, actors and they, they're from they're anti-gun. I'll put, let me put it that way. Let me just cough that right out there. They're anti-gun. Yet. Guns are such a huge part of Hollywood movies that you would think they're all, uh, you know, they all love guns, but they don't. So this could kick them right in the ass and make them come up with much higher and more stringent safety protocols so that this could, the possibility that this could ever happen again will not exist. Look, some A-list stars came out against Alec Baldwin and said, I always check the gun. Uh, when I, I'm on a movie set and, and they, I'm handed it, but I check it myself. So the fact that he wasn't checking it shows a bad, poor training, poor safety protocol, and naivete, if that's what he's going to go with. We always, always respect firearms, and you never point it at anyone and pull the trigger unless you're in a deadly physical force situation. 100% Billy, 100% safety first. And what would be the difference in every production? Anytime you see a firearm being fired on television, in movies, on the, on the internet, what would be the difference if it was a, a firearm that wasn't capable of actually firing a round that just fired a blank? There's no difference at all. I mean, it's, it, you can, you make know, I, I think, I, I think the difference is in, the actor, how the actor, um, you know, you, you know about method acting, how they respond to it by hearing that loud noise or else they would have to put that loud noise in in the editing phase. So that's the only difference I could see. But you're right. For safety reasons, they can put the explosion in in the sound studio. Yeah, but Billy, they have rounds and they have guns that won't fire a real round, but they'll make the sound of, of a real firearm. I don't think that there's, uh, you know, th they do have ones that make a very low charge because of obviously safety, you know, people's hearing and stuff. But when you're going to, you know, you're going to do the actual uh, scene that you want to shoot, uh, people put on ear protection and and you and you do the, you know, you do the 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 scene with the rounds that make the same noise as a, as a real firearm. But again, uh, if the barrel of the gun has lead in it or, or a piece of steel where it can't 
fire a projectile, you know, there's no chance of anybody getting hurt with a, you know, accidentally shot and killed like, uh, like in this case. Absolutely. Andy, the Gabby cabbie, thank you for the five pounds super chat. Oh, you know, I love this topic at the end of the day, any guns condition needs to be verified by the person holding it. Your thumbnail says it all, you know, in our training on the NYPD, there is a, and Phil was talking about this to me just today about he, Phil was on the NYPD. He was involved in two gunfights. And what he remind, reminded me of is that the only thing you remember is your training, is the, the, the routine and the doing it by route, the going over, uh, all right, fire two rounds unsupported at the whistle, boom, boom, boom. Fire three rounds unsupported. Fire all six rounds at the whistle. All that training, step to the left, put your left arm covering your chest so that if someone hits you in the chest, it'll hit your arm and not kill you. All of those things were pre-bullet-resistant vest type things. But one of the things that's drilled into us from day one is when your firearm is empty to do a physical and uh, visual inspection of your firearm to ensure that it's empty. And that is, that's karma that's drilled into your head over and over and over and over again. And I'm sure when you, you're someone like a cop that lives with your gun 24-7, I always, when, when I would come home and during the last 16 years of my career, I wore a suit and tie. I did things the same exact way all the time. I went to my closet. I pulled out the clip. I ejected the round and I stored my firearm in a safe. I was, because I had kids, I was never in the habit of putting my gun down on a dresser or something because- you're tired. You may fall asleep. You leave your gun on the dress. It's 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 a live gun. It's, your kids could kill themselves or kill you. So all of those things are training. Obviously, on this movie set, they had no or very, very poor training and absolutely no safety protocols. Bill, I just want to make a point what you said. 100% your training is what kicks in when you get involved in a gun battle. Uh, it's, it's instinct. It becomes instinct. And again, uh, the safety about having your firearm at home when you have young children, I actually, uh, sat my children down when they were a little bit older. They weren't, you know, they weren't five or six years old. They were, you know, maybe in the range of like eight to 12 years old. And I unloaded the firearm. I pointed in the safe direction. I made them hold it and touch it. And I made them realize just how dangerous it was that you could never point it at anyone. And I made them uh, get rid of the allure of, oh my God, dad's gun, that they're not going to be so inquisitive if God forbid somehow or another it was left out and they should come stumble across it. And they could be at someone else's home and stumble across a firearm. I drilled it into them that firearm safety was of the utmost importance. If you, know, you do Phil, find a firearm, you don't touch it, you go get an adult. Phil, that is textbook. I did the same things to my sons. And I didn't pull any punches. I, I forget the age they were. Maybe they were seven or eight years old. That's the age I'd show them. And I said to them, this is my gun. I go, if you point this and pull the trigger, you can kill somebody. I didn't pull any punches. And I said, this is what I'm most concerned with. Your friends come over the house and they say, hey, show us your dad's gun. There you go. What are you going to do? I go, you come and get me or you come and get mom. You do not ever do that, you know, because that's where the problem comes in. And so, you know, living with a firearm, look, I know it was sort of off, off topic, but we're just stressing 
firearm safety and uh, firearms training. Uh, Rizzy, thank you for the $20 super chat. Always, always watch the broadcast. Gents, outstanding, gentlemen. Thank you so much. We really appreciate all the kind comments. Look, we're not here to beat down Alec Baldwin, although I do find his conduct uh, after the shooting to be weasel-like, <laughs> if I can put it anyway. Like, he really did need to accept responsibility. I find Another canonism, weasel-like. Weasel-like. I find his, his skating of responsibility to really be uh, – just just horrible just like dude be a man and accept what happened and i'm not saying you have to throw yourself under the bus but accept the fact that you really did pull the trigger no one believes that you didn't stop going on tv stations and just you know saying how innocent you are it it, it was really pathetic to watch so look this is going to go forward apparently he's not going to they're not going to say come to new mexico so we can fingerprint and photograph you and all of that stuff they're going to be able to be arraigned possibly by video. So it's a, like a gentleman's arrest. You know, I wonder if we would all get that same opportunity. But they're going to go forward. It They're going to go forward with the prosecution. Phil, I think we did a pretty good job today. Uh, you know, and I, I as, as I said, and I just want to repeat, folks, there's no doubt we think this was an accident. We really do. But as described by the district attorney, some accidents can be criminal. And this one in her opinion, is criminal. And that's where we're at. Phil, final words. Final words. One quick thing about the safety aspect. When we were trained, uh, we would be at the uh, range, the NYPD range. Like you said, uh, finish shooting, a uh, physical and visual check of the firearm. And even then, if your uh, firearm wasn't holstered or if you had it in your hand, they'd say, hey, holster your firearm. The, even though we knew the gun was empty, we still maintained a tremendous amount of safety. That's the things that were skirted in this case. There's no surprise to me today that charges were filed. I don't think there was any surprise to you, Bill. Again, thoughts and prayers to the Hutchins family. She lost her life over this. Joel Souza was injured. Uh, again, uh, we will follow it if it goes to a trial, and we'll be reporting on it again in the future. And uh, I think that, uh, yeah, we covered it pretty good today. Uh, Rebecca Jones, thank you for the $5 super chat. Thank and my you, police rapid deployment training, we had uh, simunition, looks real, sounds real, but only paint. Yeah, I mean, that's the safest way. You know, we we did uh, on the police department, we would do uh, what was called the fun house, where they would put you in situations. And when I was in the academy, I don't know if they ever, uh, they do this anymore. We did an exertion course where we would actually run around the range and then do push-ups, and then they would say, go to your, you know, you'd be at your target, and they'd say, fire two rounds. This would simulate you being nervous and being adrenaline pumped, and usually you shot much worse after doing push-ups or after running around the range than you did when you were, your heartbeat was normal, and you were just so, all of these things, uh, I have a lot of respect for firearms. I'm not like a big gun buff. I never have been, and never will, but I respect Having a firearm every year, I qualify for HR 218, which enables for, uh, former police officers to carry because of uh, President George Bush, the younger, I forget the younger one, not the older one, the young George Bush. George he passed w. HR 218 and allows police officers based on their prior service to carry a firearm in any state in the United States. And we thank 
George Bush, because with the anti-gun lobby, in this case, if that, in this country, if that was never passed, it never would be now. That's for sure. 100%, Billy. So, folks, again, thank you so much for tuning in. We're Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. I'm Bill Cannon, and with me tonight is retired detective and straight out of Brooklyn, Phil Grimaldi. Have a great night, everyone, and stay safe. Stay safe, everyone. One episode, just ain't enough.